Philippians chapter 2 is found on page 1165 in your pew Bibles. In this section, as I said earlier, Paul talks about his two fellow workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who will be two of our main points this evening. So Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start reading at verse 19. This is Paul speaking. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Thus far the reading of God's word. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of you know the phrase, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. The sentiment of that phrase being that if you know the right people, depending on what you're pursuing in life, they can put in a good word for you and it can go a long ways in helping you out. The sentiment of that phrase may have something to do with where I ended up this summer, being in Reverend Davis's church in Calgary. There's a possibility that somebody here who's related to Reverend Davis might have mentioned my name, and then Reverend Davis decided to call the seminary. Also, this could be applied to any of us who have applied for a new position or maybe a promotion at work. Normally, they will ask for a certain number of letters of recommendation. So you find somebody who you work with, who has a good opinion of you, hopefully. And then those letters can also be used to show to the person you want to work for that you hopefully are a hard worker, you're honest, and so on and so forth. This evening, we're going to look at two examples of two men who are also blessed by who knew them. These two men are Timothy and Epaphroditus. The man who knew them was the Apostle Paul. In this closing section of chapter 2, Paul writes two short sections to the Philippians, giving them glowing letters of recommendation for Timothy and Epaphroditus. Our sermon title will be just that, Paul's letters of recommendation. The first point, Timothy, Paul's spiritual son. The second point, Epaphroditus, the faithful messenger, 
And briefly, we will look at Paul, the selfless sender. So again, first we're going to look at Timothy, then we will move to Epaphroditus, and finally we will look at Paul. As we approach the text today, it is truly amazing the amount of praise that the Apostle Paul heaps on the young man, Timothy. The affection that is shared between the two men is clearly on display in verses 19 through 24. And Paul spares no praise when it comes to his young friend. I have no one else like him is the words that Paul uses when he begins to describe Timothy and what a description that is. Paul, remember, has other Christians nearby in Rome. He talked about them in chapter 1 when he contrasted the ones who were preaching faithfully and those who were preaching to try to needle Paul. Paul has also been in the company of Luke, others as he traveled around the Mediterranean. There was obviously a church where Paul was imprisoned. But Paul says that no one there is equal with Timothy. Timothy has fulfilled all of the requirements that Paul has laid out for the Philippians up to this point. And he does it, Timothy does it, from a heart that is overflowing with the love of Christ. Paul says that Timothy not only looks out for the interests of others and the interests of Christ, but he does so genuinely. Timothy exhibits the characteristics that I am supposed to strive after as an aspiring pastor, ones that must be modeled by elders and deacons in Christ's church. We who are called or are being called to serve in the church could learn much from the young man, Timothy. This is a young man who is so faithful to the gospel of Christ that he is considered Paul's right-hand man, his closest confidant and his most trusted ally. Paul says at the end of the section that he hopes to send Timothy only after he hears what will become of him from the Roman prison. This again is a very telling sentence when it comes to the character of Timothy. Not only is he so loved dearly by Paul that Paul will not let him go until he knows exactly what is going to happen, but also Paul will trust no one else with this news. Think about that for a minute. Timothy is suspected to be about 30 to 35 years old at the time. It's around my age and some of the other younger men here. But Paul says that already he's a natural shepherd of the flock of Christ. And he cares for them with a heart that is compassionate and genuine. He is the one that Paul entrusts with such a weighty task as this. This should humble and motivate us as we look for how we're going to serve Christ's kingdom. You see, our culture does not place much responsibility on young men. In fact, it values young men as those who are supposed to be full of fun, free from responsibility. Young men are supposed to sow their wild oats and be given every opportunity to make poor decisions and then have no repercussions. Any bad decisions they make are chalked up to boys will be boys and they'll grow out of it. We could continue on about the low expectations of the world. But what does the Bible teach about young men? When I preached before on children obeying parents, we were able to see in the Old Testament some of the punishments for lazy, stubborn, or disrespectful sons. They were to be stoned or put to death if they would not listen to their parents or show ambition. In the New Testament, Paul writes in the letter to Titus, that the young men ought to be taught self-control, integrity, seriousness, 
soundness of speech. All of these qualities are what Timothy models, according to Paul. And these are what we are called to as well. But these accolades for Timothy aren't just something that young men come up with on their own. They don't just seek them out normally by themselves. They are raised up to embrace these character traits by parents who love them. It's recorded in 2 Timothy that he was raised in the faith by his mother and grandmother. This faith was taught to him in his infancy, and so he made it his own. Paul, seeing the faith of Timothy, has since meeting him, taken him under his wing as a son of sorts, and taught him all about my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and suffering. That's in 2 Timothy 3. So fathers and mothers, are you raising up sons like this? Do you teach your sons the way that they should go from their infancy? Do you tell them of the way that they should go so that someday they too may be trustworthy messengers of the gospel? We don't believe we do this on our own. The Spirit works it in their hearts. But there are clear instructions in Scripture that God entrusts us with the responsibility of raising our children in the fear of the Lord. And so that we don't leave out the young ladies, I ask you this. If you are seeking out a spouse or you are dating someone, do they model some of these attributes? Is the young man that you are interested in someone that your father trusts or would trust? Someone who looks to serve others, to serve the church? Or is he just handsome and he makes you laugh? Those are good things. But they are not as important as the other qualities that are modeled by Timothy. You don't have to look for a future pastor to marry. Lindsay was not either. She thought she was marrying a truck driver. But you should be looking for a boy who is not intending to stay a boy, but who is instead looking to grow into a man of God. Paul's final note on Timothy is his proven worth as a faithful preacher of the gospel. Paul writes that Timothy has proven himself as a son who has learned faithfully from a father, and that son is now working alongside of his father, contributing spreading the good news of the gospel. Timothy is not just an apprentice or understudy of Paul working for him, staying in the background. Paul says that Timothy has served with me, not that Timothy has served under me. This makes a big difference because in those times, a son would have been responsible to work under and obey his father. Paul, though, is explaining to the Philippians that Timothy is no longer a studious apprentice, but he is now a faithful pastor. He graduated at the top of his class as one who has no equals in Paul's eyes. A genuine shepherd who cares for the sick and the needy. One who seeks to do the will of Christ in all that he does. Although we are not all pastors, elders, or deacons in the church, we can all strive after the same Christ-like attributes that are modeled by Timothy. We are all able to be trustworthy, caring, and striving to do the will of Christ. By doing so, we're able to be a blessing to God's people. We are able to faithfully perform our role in the church and bring praise and honor to Christ by our faithful witness to Him. So Timothy has been promised to the Philippians as a forerunner to Paul's hopeful return. He's been given the most glowing letter of recommendation probably to be found in the Bible. 
Paul's making sure the Philippians know that his love for them is evident in his desire to be with them again and his sending of his best man in case he cannot be with them again. Now we turn to the second man mentioned in these verses, and that's Epaphroditus, our faithful messenger. If we aren't careful in how we read through these verses, we may miss the weight of praise that is heaped on this man as well. Paul again doesn't skimp over any of the great qualities that Epaphroditus has exhibited. There's a building of praise that it begins with Paul's description of Epaphroditus as a brother. The title for those who share in the faith of Christ and are now children of God. But in his commentary on Philippians, William Hendrickson states that it builds through from just a familiar bo- familial bond between Paul and Epaphroditus to something greater and greater. Paul goes on to say that Epaphroditus is also his fellow worker and his fellow soldier. They not only work together, which can hold a strong bond, but they stand next to each other in battle. They fight alongside one another for the gospel. Epaphroditus is not seen as just a man with a message, but he is a spiritual leader in the church in Philippi. He was sent to Paul to come alongside of him and to fight with him in the battle for Christ's kingdom. From there, Paul uses the word apostolon in Greek to describe Epaphroditus' work with him. This is where the title apostle comes from. Paul doesn't use it in the way to call Epaphroditus an apostle, but instead he's recognizing that Epaphroditus is sent to bring the good news. And Paul says that the good news he brings ministers to Paul's needs. Likely the reason that Paul reaches the climax of his praise for Epaphroditus as a minister to Paul's need, is that originally Epaphroditus' mission was to serve alongside Paul. His being there was a sacrifice by the church at Philippi as one of their spiritual leaders was going to be gone for a while. But now Epaphroditus is being sent back to them. They've heard that he was sick. But look at Epaphroditus' care for his church back home in Philippi. First of all, He was so intent on completing his mission for them that he nearly died doing it. He became ill, even being close to death, according to Paul. This would have been a long illness. If word had reached Philippi from Rome that Epaphroditus was ill, and they had then responded with concern, which he learned about while he was still ill, he must have been sick for likely over a month, maybe two months. But even during this time, Paul writes that Epaphroditus was more concerned about the Philippians, likely upset that he might be disappointing them. Is this reminding us of anything? Paul is once again showing that this man, as well as Timothy, is modeling a true selfless love for others over himself. Paul wants the Philippians to know that Epaphroditus did indeed minister to him. He completed the task which he was sent to do while he was forsaking himself and serving Christ's church. So Paul wants to send Epaphroditus back to them for the good of everyone involved. First of all, Epaphroditus is worried about his church and Paul wants to allay his anxiety. Second of all, Paul wants the Philippians to receive the comforts of having their brother, faithful messenger, back. And third, Paul uses the phrase to say that it will make him less anxious. We will return to that 
But first, we have to understand something about Paul's words of praise for Epaphroditus. Paul gives direct orders about the treatment that he expects for Epaphroditus when he returns. Paul's not naive. And he realizes that if Epaphroditus is back unexpectedly, there may be murmurings, whispers about whether he was faithful to his task. Paul puts all of that down when he writes, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor such men because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the health you you yourselves could not give me. Now think of those men who serve faithfully among us. The elders, the deacons, and different ministers who have served this body. But now not only among us here, but think of the men who take their families and who move to far off countries to share the word of Christ with people who have never heard it. People like some of the missionaries that we prayed for all over the world. Servants of Christ are to be honored by us. They're to be remembered in our prayers and in our financial considerations as well. These people have placed what the world would expect behind them. And they have instead pursued the calling to serve Christ. Here in Paul's praise of Epaphroditus, we are called as well to remember men and women in our own times who are faithfully serving the kingdom of God. But now we move to our third point from Epaphroditus to Paul. Paul, the selfless sender. We would begin by asking, why would Paul be anxious about sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians? It would seem that Epaphroditus is well enough to make the journey. His health is no longer in jeopardy. So what exactly is making Paul anxious? Again, we go back to verse 4 of chapter 2. Paul clearly has a sacrificial and brotherly love and appreciation for Epaphroditus. He says that this man has completed his work, done so well. Epaphroditus has fulfilled his mission in the face of sickness and worry about his church back home. He has ministered to the needs of the Apostle Paul. Paul would no doubt appreciate having an extra teammate in his camp given the fact that he's awaiting word about whether he'll be executed or not. Epaphroditus obviously does not fit the category of those who are serving their own interests. So Paul would no doubt love to have him stay to continue with Paul in his difficulties. But that's not what Paul is called to do, is it? Paul isn't supposed to be seeking his own interests. But instead, Paul cannot help but to fulfill the Christ-like quality that he has called for from others. Paul writes, I think it is necessary to send him back. And, he writes, I am all the more eager to send him. And he writes these because he knows that it will be better for Epaphroditus and better for the Philippians if they are united again. Selfless love and recognition of the needs of others is the mark of the Spirit working in the hearts of believers. And these three men we look at today have all shown that in their lives. Timothy has shown to Paul and to the Philippians that his love for God's people is genuine. He is faithful to the ministry of God's Word. Epaphroditus has faithfully performed the tasks given to him, even risking his life to serve God's kingdom. 
He's been a shining example of care and concern for Christ's work. And Paul, the faithful apostle of Jesus Christ, who has been in prison for proclaiming the good news, is more concerned for the well-being of Epaphroditus and the Philippians than he is about keeping a faithful ally close to him. Not only that, but as he awaits news, he promises that no matter what awaits him by way of Roman justice, he will send his most beloved spiritual son away as soon as possible to assure that the Philippians are well cared for. Surrounded by disappointments and restrictions, Paul models a selfless attitude that is almost hard to believe. We who live in a world of luxuries and blessings, too innumerable to count, have to strain to understand the type of sacrifice that Paul is making. Paul is truly more concerned about the well-being of others than he is about himself. He wants for them to lack nothing and to have every reason possible to rejoice. Like the widow who gave her last two coins into the offering plate, Paul gives of two of his best men for the sake of others. Contrary to the rich young ruler who couldn't give up his earthly possessions to follow Christ, Paul can't hold on to anything lest it should inhibit someone from following Christ. Following in the footsteps of his Savior, who lost his closest friends and his allies in his pursuit of winning salvation for his elect, Paul promises to send his closest friends and allies in order to preserve the faith of the believers in Philippi. Timothy pursued holiness at a young age, faithfully executed his calling to serve God. Epaphroditus traveled hundreds of miles in order to bring encouragement and serve Paul. He risked his life in the service of Christ's kingdom and longed to comfort those who he had left. Paul gave up everything he could in order to serve a church far away, including his friends and his closest associates. All of these men exhibited selfless service to Christ's church. And Paul was anxious because he felt like he was failing by keeping Epaphroditus. Brothers and sisters, I ask you, what are we willing to give up in service to Christ's kingdom? We have been given freedom from our sins. We have been promised eternal life and unspeakable joy. So what are we willing to give in thankfulness for that? Are we willing to give praise and honor to those who faithfully serve God's kingdom? Are we willing to make ourselves vulnerable and truly encourage and pray and support men and women who bring the gospel message to lands far from home? Or even more, are any of the men in here willing to leave home and family in comfort for the sake of the kingdom of God? Do we value service to God's kingdom? Or is that something for someone else to do? We all have positions to fill in God's kingdom. Men and women alike. There were women who followed Jesus, who ministered to Him as well. Women are given instruction in the Bible for how to serve in the church. So today, as we go forth into a watching world for this week, we should remember that we are called to His service first. We are called to be genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. 
we are called to put the needs of others first and pursue the will of Christ, serving in the work of the gospel in whatever aspect that may be. And we are called to be brothers and sisters in Christ, co-workers and fellow soldiers in the battle against the evil one. We are called to minister to one another's needs and sacrifice of ourselves for the benefit of others, just as Christ did. Truly, the message of this part of the letter is showing us and the Philippians the wonderful qualities of these men. But more than that, Paul points us to Christ. Timothy, Epaphroditus, and even Paul are only mimicking the actions of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. While we can definitely learn from these brothers who lived so long ago, we in the Philippians are called to look past them to Christ, the perfect shepherd who tenderly, lovingly, and genuinely, perfectly cares for all of his sheep. The one who left heaven, who came and perfectly ministered to all of our needs, and who loved us so much that he did in fact die in service on our behalf. The one who left us here in order that the Holy Spirit might be sent to minister to our hearts in our times of need, to comfort us in our times of doubts and struggles, to bring us to a saving faith in Christ by realigning our desires to pursue righteousness. This is the one who we ultimately look to, and he is the one who we wait for to return, not Paul. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Amen. Shall we pray?